Hey guys, this is Alex with the Deep South Podcast. We have you covered on all your Pelican, Saints, LSU, and Houston Astros news. Be sure to follow us on Twitter to find links to our podcast and to get the latest news on the teams that we cover. For all your LSU, Saints, and Houston Astros coverage, you can follow at HotLSU on Twitter. And for all your New Orleans Pelicans and NBA coverage, you can follow at HotPelicans and our main and our Deep South Podcast Twitter account is at South underscore podcast. Be sure to follow us, find our podcast, share it, comment, like it, interact with us, and let's get these podcasts going. Silky B. How's it going, guys, and welcome to another edition of the Deep South Podcast. As you know, my name is Landon. You can find me at Hot Pelicans on Twitter, and the podcast has been doing great lately. I, I just really want to thank you guys. I know I said it in my last podcast, but the support for this podcast has been great. Our Zion edition, two episodes ago, had over 200 downloads and listens online, and then this last one has all almost a hundred already and it's just been out for a few days now so once again thank you for the support for the podcast as we get closer to the season I'm going to be giving you guys episodes more often and just trying to post as much as I possibly can so bear with me there I'm going to get some content out for you guys I promise but without further ado let's get into this episode of the deep south podcast so in this episode we're going to be talking about um, the draft, obviously, I'm going to give my reactions on the draft. I'm going to give a bit of a scouting report on each of our first round picks that we got in the 2019 NBA draft, as well as talking about the roster a bit going forward and how these guys are kind of going to fit into that scheme and Gentry's offense and all of those things. So let's get into this. First, I just want to talk about the draft, the guys we picked up there. So the Pelicans, because of a trade with the Atlanta Hawks, they traded down to get the 8th and 17 picks as well as a second round pick at 35 from the Atlanta Hawks. And in exchange, we gave them our number four pick where they decided to take DeAndre Hunter, a defensive-minded wing player who could easily be a 3 and D guy in the NBA right off the bat. So good for them. He really fits into what they're doing there in Atlanta. But we got the 8th and the 17th pick. And obviously getting Zion number 1. That was a foregone conclusion before the draft. At 8, we picked up actually a surprise pick for most Pelicans fans with having guys like Cam Reddish, um, Cam Johnson on the board, and some other guys. Um, But we ended up picking up Jackson Hayes, the center out of Texas, Um So that was an interesting pick there. We all knew that we had a hole at center, and we needed a little bit of depth depth in the front court. We're probably going to be picking up another kind of stretch big type player in free agency, but we did use that pick on a center. So we have much better depth now, already having 
Jaleel Okafor, Christian Wood, Diallo, who his future is kind of in the balance a little bit, and now adding Jackson Hayes to that front court. So really athletic front court and a lot of guys that can that are explosive with the ball and can make plays in a variety of ways and, and really some different skill sets in the front court that will be able to mix and match next to Zion Williamson. So that's good to see some versatility there in the front court. And then at pick 17, we picked up a guy that I actually haven't really um, known much about or heard much about until I started researching him and watching some tape on him these past few days. But at 17, the Pelicans picked up a shooting guard out of Virginia Tech, Nikhail Alexander-Walker, who's actually the cousin of Shea Gilgis Alexander, the point guard that's playing for the Los Angeles Clippers right now and had a pretty pretty breakout rookie season over there, um, played really well. So that's actually his cousin, and he talked about it at the draft, saying he knew that they were going to both get drafted. They've been talking about this since they were little kids playing against each other and all that. So that was good to see those quotes at the draft. But Nikhail Alexander-Walker out of Virginia Tech is who we picked up with that 17th pick. So let's talk about these three guys that we picked up in the first round that we're going to be adding to kind of this young core that the Pelicans have accumulated. Obviously, we have these three players, and we're going to add them to Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, and Josh Hart, the young players we picked up from the Lakers. So the Pelicans have an excess of young talent on this team that they can develop or that they can, if they have a log jam at one of these positions, specifically they can they can ship out one of those guys and try to get some more assets back or another player that might be able to help them win now. So that's good to see. David Griffin talked about putting together this war chest of assets with all the picks that he's gotten by trading down in the draft with all of the young players. He's putting together a war chest of assets that he'll have at his disposal as we start winning and we can um, you know, trade for a star player, get some quality vets on the team. And opening up with this trade, we sent out Solomon Hill's $12 million as well and getting him off the books which gives the Pelicans around $31 million in cap space that they'll have at their disposal. And if they if they find a way to shed Etwan Moore's money that's on the books, he's making about $9 million or $8 million, um, in this next year, then we could open up as much as $40 million in cap space. So we could throw that at some vets on some short-term deals and get some guys that can kind of help mentor all these young players that the Pelicans have because – they have a very young roster right now. The oldest on the team being Drew Holiday at 29 years old. And then you have Etwan Moore, who's reaching his 30s. And then besides that, it goes, you know, 24, 24, 21, 19. Um, there's a lot of young players on this team. The average age probably being around 24, 25 years old. So the Pelicans have really shifted a lot in terms of the uh, the trajectory of this team, obviously, going into more of a rebuild, um, a really quick rebuild, but a rebuild nonetheless and getting all these young players. So it's really been great to see the turnaround that David Griffin and Trajan Langdon have been able to put in place this quickly during their tenure with the Pelicans. So that's been really exciting for Pelicans fans. I know we're all psyched to see that the Pelicans actually have a legitimate young core of players, which we couldn't say with Anthony Davis because we were in pretty much win-now mode as soon as he was drafted when Del Demps was here and started to kind of go with that young veterans philosophy and picking up uh, young guys that, that have some upside but have been in the league for a couple years, and we never really 
built through the draft, never keeping any of our first-round picks um, for pretty much his entire tenure there. Um, obviously trading Buddy Heald, Austin Rivers, and those guys. So David Griffin and Trajan Langdon are doing this the right way and they're building through the draft they're being patient and that's what pelicans fans want to see so that's been good to see but let's talk about these first round picks so we know who we picked up first overall we knew this was going to happen going into the draft everybody knew that zion williamson was going to be the guy taken at number one it's been a foregone conclusion like i said for about three months now really everybody knew that Zion was going to be a Pelican, especially once that draft lottery happened. And let's talk about this guy a little bit. I'm not going to go too much into him because I know that people have seen Zion. They've seen the highlights. They've seen the dunks. So I know you know um, pretty much the, um, the, you know, the logistics of his scouting report and what makes him the expos- explosive player that he is. But I'm going to talk about him just a little bit and the things that he does really well. So we know the athleticism is there. Um, this guy's six six. Um, they're six seven with shoes on. He's two hundred and eighty five pounds with a forty one inch vertical, and this guy is just a physical specimen, a physical freak of nature. He really reminds you of you know the Giannis's, the ads, the Lebrons of the world in terms of his physical attributes that he's going to have as he comes into the league, but he pairs that with some skill. And that's mainly what I'm going to be talking about because we know the athleticism, we know the dunks that he can get um, and just, you know, poster posterizing people in college. So let's talk a little bit about more about his skill. So one thing he obviously he's really efficient in the paint. That's where he does most of his damage offensively, or at least what he did at Duke when he was playing in college. And, He's really great at finding position down in the paint. He is not afraid to go into the paint on two or three players at a time. If he's getting double or triple teamed, he doesn't care. He's going to go in the paint with reckless abandon with his sight sets on the goal. Um, but that doesn't mean that he's um, you know, kind of like Julius Randle in the effect that he's a bull in a, in a china cabinet or you know, that he's just going straight to the goal and he doesn't look for his teammates. When he gets in the in the paint, he has some really, really quick instincts. So he knows that if he doesn't have an open lane to the goal, he's really good at flipping that ball out to the perimeter to get an open three-point shot or finding someone else cutting to the goal. He has really good instincts and he sees the floor really well, even if he's under the goal surrounded by other team, you know, other players on the other team. So He's he's pretty good with that. He makes really quick decisions, um, especially in transition. That's the thing that he is pretty much his bread and butter offensively is in transition, um, which works perfectly with Alvin Gentry's offense. He's going to grab the rebound. He's going to run the floor. And when he does run the floor and he has teammates that are beating him down the court, he's going to make that bounce pass across half court to get it to an open teammate, which he did a lot at Duke. Uh, His playmaking, the way he sees the floor, is pretty impressive for a guy of his size and his stature. And I think that he's going to just get more opportunities to do that with the Pelicans. They're going to put the ball in his hands. Obviously, he's going to take more shots and um, get an opportunity to be more versatile offensively with Gentry. He's not just going to be um, a rim runner, you know, or just getting the ball in the paint when he's open or gets positioned down there. Alvin Gentry is going to let him 
touch the ball more, control the ball more, and, and um, play make for others as well as finding his offense on the perimeter, which is going to be a big area of emphasis for him if he can get that three-point shot to be a more consistent. But he talked about it. Um, he was getting interviewed, I believe, by ES, somebody on ESPN talking kind of about his weaknesses as a player, and he talked about that specifically, about the perimeter shooting. He said that he believes it improved later in his time with Duke at towards the end of the season it got a lot better and more consistent um and in the tournament he was hitting a lot of threes but that's obviously going to be an area of emphasis for him so he's going to continue to work on that aspect of his game but the things he does well are just going to fit right in with what Alvin Gentry is trying to do um and people talk a lot about motor as being a skill in the NBA about having a high motor and Zion Williamson never takes plays off. You will see this about him. He never takes plays off. He's always looking for the block shot on defense. Um, He's looking at getting into passing lanes, knocking the ball out of people's hands, and creating steals and creating transition opportunities that way. And he also, in terms of his motor, he never gives up on a play on offense either. When he misses a shot or there's an offensive rebound that can be had, He's going to put his body in the way of other players, get that offensive rebound, and if he misses a shot, he's going to put it right back in with a layup or a dunk. He never gives up on plays. He's not one of those players that takes a shot and then turns around and heads back on defense. You know, He's going to go to the goal and track that miss down on the offensive glass, which is a really nice thing that the Pelicans haven't really had, um, especially... Um, you know, two or three years ago, we didn't have anybody who could get an offensive rebound to save their life. And Zion is never going to give up on a play in that regard. So I'm not going to go too much into Zion because I know that you know a lot about his game, especially Pelicans fans. We've been watching highlights of this guy for a month now. But those are kind of some attributes that Zion is going to bring to the table and how I believe Gentry's offense and his scheme um, on the offensive side of the ball, getting in transition, uh, you know, Quick, uh, getting that pace up all the time is only going to help Zion Williamson's game. So let's talk about now about our eighth pick, and this is Jackson Hayes, a six eleven center out of Texas. And this guy, he's really simple in terms of his game. He's like a Clint Capella, DeAndre Jordan type. If you're looking for some player comps for him, and he's just going to be a rim runner and a shot blocker. That's all this guy does. He catches lobs. He dunks the ball. He's super efficient. Um, he was shooting like 72% or something from, from two-point range, which is just ridiculous, you know. But that's what he does. He gets dunks. He catches lobs. He also, though, has the speed and the athleticism when he gets in the paint to get by his defender, especially when he's guarding other power forwards and centers. Um, he can switch between those two, a power forward center. He's really good defensively. He's a great shot blocker. He's tenacious inside. And it's just going to be the um, the thing that he's going to have to work on is guarding around the perimeter. Because while he is a pretty mobile guy, a pretty athletic guy, and he can move down the court with, with anybody, he's still going to have to work on getting out to the perimeter, being quick on his feet so he can guard multiple positions. Because right now, I know four and five are going to be nothing for him, and, and maybe he might have problems with the big bruising centers in the league, but for the most part, he's going to be able to guard front court players. It's going to be a matter of if he can go out to the perimeter and take those guards one-on-one. So that's going to be something for him. 
Um, he did have he his free throw percentage wasn't too bad. He was he was around seventy two percent, I believe, from the free throw line. So he he has the potential to be a mid range jump shooter. Um, I think he took like less than five threes the entire year. That is not his game at all. He's not going to be a three point shooter. Maybe you know one day he could develop that, but I don't think that's going to be an aspect of his game at all during his career. But he could expand his range a little bit past the rim and past the paint. So we'll see if he can um, kind of develop more of that. But if he's going to be a post player, he's definitely going to have to develop more post moves and go-to moves in the paint that he can bring out on people to kind of diversify what he does offensively. Because right now it's really off of lobs and dunks and um when he gets in the paint and gets positioned, kind of blowing by his defender, which he's not always going to be able to do in the NBA. He does have a, a pretty nice post hook. If you've watched his highlights, you see he kind of has this go-to, um, you know, kind of fake one way and spin and, and do this right hook. Um, that's pretty effective. So um, hopefully he can develop that and maybe do it with, with both of his hands. And that might be a consistent move that he could go to in the post. But other than that, he doesn't really have many post moves and um, and the greatest of footwork when he does get down there in the post because most of the time it's off of passes or rolls in the pick and roll. So that'll be something that he's going to work on. But there's not really much to say about him. He didn't play too, too much at Texas. Um, to, um, he played more in the back end of the season. And he averaged on the season about 10 points, excuse me, five rebounds, and two blocks. So he's a guy that the the the, um, the story is still out on him. We don't know too too much about him just because he didn't play a whole lot at Texas. But we've seen what we need to see. We know what his game is. He's a rim runner, a shot blocker, and he's going to be the next Clint Capella or DeAndre Jordan in the league because he has that athleticism. And he can move in transition. He's pretty mobile. If you watch him kind of run the floor, he can beat his defender, especially front court players. He can beat them down the court and get a pass down the court or, um, you know, rim run off the pick and roll and, and pass up his defender. So he's athletic in that regard, and he's pretty mobile for a big man. But those skills that I talked about are things that he's going to need to develop, especially his post moves. So the last one we're going to talk about in this first segment in the second segment, we're going to discuss a little bit about the roster, where these guys fit in, and kind of what we can expect from these guys next season. Obviously, based on what David Griffin has said, the roster is not complete yet. This is not a finished product here. And so we're going to have to see what David Griffin can do with this cap space or if he's going to take back some bad salary for assets just to fill up the cap in that $31 million that we currently hold. So... This roster definitely isn't finished being constructed for the upcoming season, but just taking what we have right now in a vacuum, we can kind of see how this season is going to go a little bit, and we'll talk about that in the second segment. But the last guy I'm going to talk about here is our 17th pick in the first round. Um, this is Nikhil Alexander-Walker, like I said, the cousin of Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And this guy is honestly really impressive. It's, it's kind of surprising to me that he didn't go earlier in the draft as I do more scouting on him. He had some pretty decent numbers at Virginia Tech. He averaged 16 points a game, four rebounds, four assists, kind of just does it all. Um, but this guy is a score first, and we'll talk about that. But he can also play defense as well. But let me go through his stats, and then we'll kind of give a little scouting report on him. So he shot... 
48% from the field and 38% from three-point range in college at Virginia Tech. So he's a pretty efficient player and definitely can hit the three um, and around 77% from the free throw line, which is okay um, for a guard. But he didn't get to the free throw line a ton. So kind of take that with a grain of salt. But his shot looks really pure. It's a very consistent stroke. It's a very quick stroke, so he can get it off when defenders are kind of closing out on him at the perimeter. He has a very quick release. And he also can make some shots off the dribble and contested three-point shots. So let's talk a little bit about his offense, and then I'll kind of give a breakdown of his defense, which is a lot like Zion in terms of getting in passing lanes and, and creating opportunities in transition. But offensively, this guy can really get some things done on the offensive side of the ball. His three-point shooting is a big asset for him, um, a big aspect of his game. He has some serious range, and when you watch his highlights, I mean, he's hitting threes with people closing out on him from like two or three feet behind the three-point line, and that's in college, obviously, so um, even though they're going to start moving that back, the three-point line back, so it can be a little more closer to the um, a little more close to the professional game but that was in college obviously but he does have some range on his shot like I talked about his release is really quick he can get it off over people and before they can close him out and it's a really fluid looking stroke it's really nice and he hits his shots I mean this guy is just a bucket getter especially from the perimeter He's also really crafty around the basket. If you watch this guy as a finisher, it kind of reminds you, uh, reminds you a lot of like a Drew Holiday, um, a guy that he doesn't create a ton of contact, but he knows what to do to, you know, finagle himself around his defender and create some opportunities at the rim. He's pretty crafty there um, in terms of shielding guys off with the rim, in terms of uh, double clutching and finishing over guys when he has the defender on him, and. He's, he can see, he reads the floor really well once he gets into his drive um, and goes downhill. He can see when guys are kind of backing off of him. And even when he has multiple defenders there, if they're not, you know, closing out or getting in front of him, he's going to take it all the way to the, to the rack and finish. So this guy's pretty crafty around the rim. That's going to be another big part of his offensive game. But the main thing you want to see with this guy is this three-point shot. And he can get this shot off in a variety of ways. He can um, he gets the catch and shoot off of passes and releases it really quick like I was talking about. He's very good at the catch and shoot. He can spot up, um, and he hit a lot of threes off the dribble. I mean, this guy can just get his three-point shot off in a variety of ways, and that's going to be good to see to have a perimeter-oriented player because as we've seen, the young players that we have other than him really and Josh Hart can't hit the three-point shot consistently and create opportunities on the perimeter. So that's something that Nikhil is going to be able to do. Um, it's going to be interesting to see his role on the team. And uh, when we come back from the break, I'm going to talk about what the role of each of these young players will look like just in next season, the immediate future, um, and kind of how these lineups are going to are going to branch out, who's going to be in the G League, who's actually going to be playing with the parent club pretty often. So that's what we're going to talk about in the second segment. So stay tuned with us. We're here on the Deep South Podcast, recapping the NBA Draft. Hey guys, welcome back to this NBA Draft recap episode of the Deep South Podcast. So in the second segment, I want to talk about the roles of each of these young players and how they're going to fit in right off the bat with this Pelicans team. 
So let's first talk about Zion. Obviously, you know, this guy's going to be in the starting lineup. I mean, he's going to be more or less the focal point of this team. Him and Drew Holiday, they're going to be the guys getting the bulk of the shots from night to night with Brandon Ingram kind of sprinkled in there if he's still on the roster when the first game comes around. But Zion's going to be there, and his role is going to change quite a bit, I believe, from what he was doing at Duke. So at Duke, he played more he played a big man role. I mean, he was playing in the pick and roll, getting off as the roll man, going to the rim. He played a lot in transition. That was the majority of his offense was coming in transition, going coast to coast off of a rebound and dunking it in transition and then getting offensive rebounds and battling on the offensive glass for points. That was the the bulk of what he was doing at Duke. I think that his role as more of the pick and roll initiator is going to be expanded with the Pelicans. He's going to be controlling the ball a little bit more. He's going to be able to make plays for his teammates out of the pick and roll. I think a pick and roll with him and Jackson Hayes would be awesome. Um, just having Jackson Hayes as the role man or Zion throwing him a lob, that would that would just be so fun to watch. I think all Pelicans fans agree with that. And I think that he's going to be able to do that with the Pelicans. Gentry's going to want him to handle the ball and be a distributor when he can be. Obviously, you want to have Lonzo Ball or Drew Holiday out there as the main initiator. But I think as a secondary ball handler, Zion's certainly going to be able to do that in spurts. So we'll see a little bit of that from him. And his three-point shooting, he's going to be taking more attempts from three. That's just what Alvin Gentry does. If you have any potential shooting the three-point shot, Alvin Gentry is going to get you shooting the ball. So he's going to be doing a lot more of that. But expect Zion to be the second option on most nights. And if he really has it going, he's going to take over as the offensive leader on this team. And that's kind of what his role is going to look like. You know that the Pelicans are building around him and, and Drew and he's going to be a focal point on a nightly basis. Let's talk about Jackson Hayes, the center out of Texas. I don't think we're going to see too, too much of him um, on a nightly basis. I think that he's going to be a 10 to 15 minute rotation big in his first season. He might spend some time with the G League team and get some run there so he can get some more minutes and, and be a bigger focal point for that team in the G League, but I think that he'll find 10 to 15 minutes a night behind a Christian Wood or a Jaleel Okafor, or if they pick up a a Brooke Lopez or somebody in free agency, we'll see more of that guy um, and that vet in the starting lineup. He's not going to start. He's definitely going to be coming off the bench in his first season, and I expect around 10 to 15 minutes a night from him as a rim runner and a shot blocker, and I don't think we should expect too much from Jackson Hayes in his first season. The same can be said about Nikhail Alexander-Walker. I don't think that we're going to see too much of him, and I expect a lot of his time to be spent in the G League because right now our point guard depth is pretty deep right now. Um, We have Lonzo Ball and Drew Holiday are going to be starting. There's no question about that. And then you have Josh Hart, Frank Jackson, Etwan Moore. All those guys are going to be demanding minutes on this team unless we move Etwan Moore. I don't really see Nikhail Alexander-Walker's role being too substantial in his first season. I think he'll spend a lot of time in the G League with Jackson Hayes, most likely, because Frank Jackson, he's going to be in his third season um, this year. 
And then, obviously, you have Josh Hart, who's been a player with the Lakers, and he's um, about 21, I think. He's going to be demanding some time as well, and I think that he'd be a great – because he can switch. Um, he can play the the one through the three, really. His playmaking is not great, but he can play especially the two and the three on defense, and he can hit the three-point shot. He's going to get some time for sure. And if Etwan Moore is still on the roster, he's going to get some time as well. And Frank Jackson, I think that he could have a really substantial role coming off the bench as the primary or secondary playmaker in those lineups um, if Lonzo Ball or Alfred Payton's not out there with him if we bring back Alfred. So Frank Jackson, I think his role is going to expand a little bit, and he's going to get some time to shine with this team, especially with how young we are. And there's not going to be too much pressure for us to win a ton of games in this first season, although I think if everything breaks well and we – have some good injury luck on our side with Aaron Nelson, who might maybe be able to help with that in this revamped training staff and training facilities. If, if everything breaks way, I could see us being a fringe playoff team in this first season. So, But there will also be no pressure for these young guys because they're not in a big market like Los Angeles where all of the, the cameras are pointed at you to be good right away. It's not going to be like that. There, there's not going to be a whole lot of pressure on these young players and they're just going to be able to go out there and play and develop and just figure out where they fit in on this team because there's going to be a feeling out period, especially the first couple of weeks with this team to just figure out where everybody's role is, who's going to be the leader on this team offensively and take the most shots, which I anticipate will be Drew Holiday. And we, we know the defensive end of this, this team is not going to be a problem at all. Um, and I'll talk about that probably on another podcast, but – I anticipate this team to be a top half of the league defensive team right away, and I can honestly see them finishing the season as a top 10 defensive team with the personnel we have on the roster right now, but that's neither here nor there. But yeah, so Nikhil, Alexander Walker especially, and to some extent Jackson Hayes should both spend time with the G League, and their roles will be pretty minimal in this first season. So... This roster going forward, what are these lineups going to look like? Who's going to start? Who's going to come off the bench? All of those things. So I anticipate the starting lineup on day one is going to be Lonzo Ball, point guard, Drew Holiday at the shooting guard, Brandon Ingram as the starting small forward, Zion Williamson at the four, and a free agent at the five. I think that we're going to end up picking up some kind of stretch big like a Brooke Lopez, a Dwayne Dedmond, um, even a Mirit- and Nikola Miritich with his injury history. I still think the Pelicans would be down to bring him in at the right price. And I think that that center's going to end up being a free agent. If not, I could see Christian Wood or Jaleel Okafor starting right there. Um, both of those guys could help out. I just think the spacing with Jaleel Okafor in the starting lineup would be really suspect. So I think Christian Wood would help to open things up there because he can hit the three-point shot when he's open um, from pretty much anywhere on the court. So I think that'd be a really fun lineup to run out there if Christian Wood played the four, uh, the five. excuse me. But I think that that five spot in the starting lineup will end up being a free agent. So let's look at the bench lineup. You're going to have Frank Jackson. He's going to be one of the first people off the bench, I think, along with Josh Hart in the backcourt. Then you're going to have... I hope not an Etwan Moore playing the three. I I guess it'll be Kenrick Williams um, coming off the bench unless we pick somebody up there that can switch to the three. But um, Kenrick Williams should be there. And then you have Christian Wood and Jaleel Okafor slash Jackson Hayes whenever he puts in NBA minutes at the five there. And then you kind of have those end-of-the-bench guys 
if Etwan Moore is still there, he'll probably be at the end of that bench. Um, Diallo, whatever he ends up doing. I think Darius Miller is going to be a free agent, I want to say, and may not be in the NBA next year. Um, so what happens with that? I'm honestly not sure what his contract situation is, but I think he's going to be a free agent. Um, and a team could go pick him up. So I don't think he'll be on the roster. I think Diallo will not be on the roster ultimately. But that's kind of what those lineups are going to look like. And from night to night, it may depend. They'll probably bring up some of those young guys like Nikhail and Jackson Hayes and give them some time. But that's more or less going to be how the lineup is going to be um, is going to be put out there on a nightly basis. And the things that we need to really focus on in free agency, we really need to get a stretch big to open things up because if we're starting Ingram, Lonzo, and Zion all together, we're going to need some shooting in that lineup to open things up. Now, Zion has proven effective when he doesn't have a ton of spacing. They didn't have a lot of shooters at Duke. Um, Zion was the best three-point shooter in terms of percentage on Duke um, on Duke's team last year, so they didn't have a ton of spacing. R.J. Barrett wasn't the most efficient three-point shooter, even though he's known as a gunner. And he's proven that he can be effective, but they're still at the NBA level. We're going to need some sort of spacing um, so all those people can get their buckets, like Brandon Ingram, um, especially being more of a mid-range guy. I think that he's going to have to stretch out this year to the three-point line, and Gentry's not going to settle for him to just work in isolation in the mid-range. He's going to make him try to play from the perimeter. Um, Lonzo Ball, you know, he's hit or miss pretty much with his three-point shot. Drew Holiday is the same. He's inconsistent. So you're going to need that stretch five there, and hopefully they address that with some shooting and uh, some a stretch big in free agency. Other than that, I don't think there's really a big hole on the team that we need to address. I, I think the backup point guard will be an interesting one. Um, if they don't bring back Elford Payton, then they could pick up maybe a Ricky Rubio. I've heard Patrick Beverly. That would be an awesome one and keep the the defensive-mindedness on the court at all times. But I, I think he'll get um, a deal from some team at a pretty big price, although the Pelicans have the money to throw it at him if they really wanted him on the team on a short-term deal. But there's not really too much that we need to address in free agency. And honestly, I could see David Griffin kind of hoarding that cap space a little bit and waiting to uh, pick up a bad contract like a Danilo, Danilo Gallinari from the Clippers. I know they're going to want to open up some some more max space and they could dump him to somebody, um, something along those lines. I think that he may end up holding on to that cap space and picking up a buyout guy or um, or getting a bad contract with some assets attached to it some point before or um, early on in the season. So... Don't be surprised if we have that cap space there when, um, when the season starts and just know that David Griffin has a plan in mind. But as I said at the top of the podcast, this roster is not finished being constructed. It's not a final product here, and we're just going to see what David Griffin ends up doing with this $31 million and potentially $40 million if he offloads Etwan Moore to somebody But that's going to do it for this edition of the Deep South Podcast. A quicker one here, but I wanted to get out a draft recap, give a scouting report on these players if you aren't too familiar because I don't watch a ton of college basketball anymore. I want to do more of that, but I haven't uh, the past few seasons. So I wanted to watch some tape on these guys, look at the scouting reports, and see what we can take from that and how they're going to fit in to this Pelicans roster 
But that's going to do it for this edition of the Deep South Podcast. As you know, my name is Landon. You can find me in all of my takes at Hot Pelicans. And have a good rest of your week, Pelicans fans. It's time to get fired up, and let's dance. I'm Ty Yeager, and I want to introduce you to the Rise Up Podcast community, a community for podcasters created by podcasters, dedicated to the promotion and growth of podcasts everywhere. Rise Up is not a network. There are no contracts and no control over your content, just a vessel for you to spread the word of your work and connect with fellow podcasters to collaborate, create, and promote. And guess what? It doesn't cost you a single cent to join the community. Join the Rise Up Podcast community today by visiting our website at bit.ly slash riseuppodcommunity and follow the community on Twitter at rupodcommunity. Again, that's bit.ly slash riseuppodcommunity and at rupodcommunity on Twitter. Come and join the community of podcasts and rise up with us. Rise Up Podcast Community.